This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Greetings and welcome to the Antiheroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair, the guy that hosts this podcast. Folks, today you have tuned into a good one. You know, let me start by saying, yes, I know some of you might be thinking to yourselves, wait a minute, you sold us on this podcast in the first place by saying this is the Antiheroes. These are going to be folks that aren't as recognized these are supposed to be guys that are doing things in their own little corner and bringing their voice their unique voice to the conversation and you are supposed to be talking to those folks and and shedding a little light on them and i would say yes you are right that is the premise of this podcast and that today's guest is one of the most known guitar players in the world currently today But I would argue and say that, yes, he is in one of the world's largest guitar rock bands, if not the world's largest guitar rock bands. But in my personal opinion, I don't feel like he has gotten enough sort of recognition for his 
individual voice as a guitar player. And that was my point for having him on today. So I would say, ha ha ha, I got you. Yes, you were smart and you were wily and you pointed out this sort of uh, contradiction. But I would challenge you and say you are incorrect. And then I would say it's my podcast and I'll do it up there hell I want. But thank you for listening. Anyway, so in my opinion, yeah, I don't think that Chris has gotten enough recognition for for his unique voice as a guitar player because he is in the Foo Fighters. It's the world's largest band, world's largest, hugest, most ubiquitous songs that the whole world sings. So how could he get enough recognition, as much recognition as he deserves for his guitar playing? And that's why he's here. As you will hear, Chris and I have been buddies for over 30 years since way before he was in the Foo Fighters. We hit it off immediately when we met when we were kids in San Francisco, touring in vans, and we've loved each other ever since. And I could not be more proud of my friend. Really, I called him and congratulated him in 1999 when he got the gig, and I've been so proud of him ever since. And they're lucky to have him, man. The guy is a world-class genius guitar player. So I hope you enjoy this. I will shut up, but I'll talk to you at the, toward the end. Uh, let's get into my interview with Chris Shiflett. Hello, Chris Shiflett. Hello, my old friend. How are you? You know, I'm I'm great, and I'm I'm better now that I'm seeing you. And I will have done an intro and and stuff where I talk about how long we've known each other. And yeah, it was way before you were in the Foo Fighters. It's it oh was, yeah, you were in a, a punk band, as was I. And you came to see us at the yes. bottom of the hill, and I'll Correct. never forget it. Yes, I'll never forget that. But how did okay? So I I clearly remember being there that night. But how did we actually meet? Like, did we all go out afterwards or something? That's the part I don't remember. I think we did because you showed up with other guys from your band and other fat wreck people. I believe yeah. maybe maybe I I can't remember exactly who, but I do remember you coming right into the backstage and me and you just like hitting it off immediately and yeah. probably having a similar conversation as to what we're about to have, which is about nerdy guitar shit. Sure, as we yeah. often do. As we often do. I mean, and and why a conversation that's been running through the decades. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For 30, 30 it's almost thirty years. Yeah, and I feel like even like after that time that we met in that was in San Francisco, and that was like such a fun time. That was I was living in San Francisco, and Fat Records is there, yeah. and um, and when when shows would would happen, like the, the everybody that worked at Fat, and as well as Mike, and you know, you know, if any of the bands were on, like everybody would go to the show. It was always like a very kind of like there was a good scene you know yeah yeah it's great but also a great scene down in texas where i would uh i just i guess luckily because we were both obviously touring a lot my memory is that you would often be at like our shows then after yeah, that absolutely you know absolutely yeah. absolutely and we would i remember a weird night in houston where both bands you guys were either playing fitzgerald's and we came to see the gig because we were playing the next night yeah and we were with no effects Anyway, the tours converged on one night. I don't remember, but I do remember being in Houston. It's so fucking long ago. That's like one of those things that would often happen back then when things were a little less organized, where you'd be like, Absolutely. 
what the fuck? Why aren't we playing with fucking NoFX and Hagfish? <laughs> They're tomorrow night and we have a Kelly, night off. Kelly, For fuck's fuck? sake, why didn't anybody notice that? Yeah. Who looked yeah. at the, who looked at this scheduling and was like, ah, this is this will work out. This will be fun. Yeah. 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 We had a great night like that on a um we were touring Europe with uh it was us, I know use for name, and and uh uh, uh swinging utters and uh-huh. suicide machines. And we played in like Rotterdam on that sure. tour and um Waddy's band fucking what the fuck oh, are ex- they called? exploit it exploit, exploit it exploit yeah. yeah yeah uh exploit it so we're playing you know those those like those clubs like over in Europe where it's, there's like a big room a medium room a small room you sure. know kind of thing. Sure. and so we they they were exploited was playing the same night that we were playing in the same oh club God. and we were like what the fuck why aren't they and they were in a different room than why aren't ours we just doing why, the same why aren't thing? we come on so we went to the promoter and we were like Hey, um, why don't we just combine the shows? Like, let's just yeah. put them together, you know, and put it in the big room, you know? Yeah. And they were like, no, no, they don't, the exploited doesn't want to do that or whatever. And so we're like, all right, whatever. So we each play our shows. And then afterwards, of course, as you would expect, we all wind up in the same room in the backstage drinking beers together or whatever. And, and Wadi was like, man, we, we wanted to combine the shows, but we, you know, promoter said you didn't want to do it. And we're like, what the fuck? The promoter said you didn't want to do it. We're like, it almost turned into one of those things like, let's go get that motherfucker. Let's kill the fucking promoter. (laughs) But you know, being in Rotterdam in any European, you know, the European, it is, this is not possible. No, this is not, no, this is not possible. Yeah. It's like, it is fucking, we uh, exploited stories. It's crazy. We went over to England for the first time and who, you know, we stayed at a hotel. Wadi is at the hotel, which is like, you just think British punk and like, you know, and it was odd because the band Corn. this is like mid nineties, 95, maybe Yeah. Corn. the exploited and that band, the Lords of Brooklyn, that like rap band. Oh yeah. Yeah, we yeah. were all in the, the like lobby bar hanging out and the Lords of Brooklyn and the exploited almost got in a fight. But oh, I said the exploited, it was really Waddy just taking like taking shit out of his pockets, challenging all of them to be like, let's go. <laughs> and we we kind of we kind of knew we were like friends of the Lords of Brooklyn by this point, And we were yeah. advising all of them, like, don't get in it with this guy. Like you will right. fucking die. Yeah, you're you know, on his you're on his turf. <laughs> You're definitely on his turf. You'll you'll fucking die. Uh, well, yeah. hi, hi, buddy. You know, hey. I, I, we have known each other for so long, and I do remember you uh, getting the gig in the Foo Fighters and loving you and being so happy for you. Um, oh, and, right on. And that was ninety nine. Yeah, it was ninety nine. I can say the same with you and, and Rise Against. You know. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It was Thank like you, uh, one of those things where you see it and you go, that makes perfect fucking sense. Well, and that's the same thing with, uh, with Foo Fighters. Um, Thank you. They're, they're lucky to have you. Anyway, uh, let's get into guitar bullshit. Yeah. 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 You come from like, like family, like your brothers. You have two brothers that play as well. Is that, is that yeah. correct? I have and- two older brothers. I also have a stepbrother um, who's he's not a musician, but a music fan and was an influence as well. Okay. We need yeah. those. You need the yeah. older influences in life to like hand you down the scrolls. You yes. Know, the sort Abs- of- <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Like, here's the good shit. Well, I was, I mean, I always say I was really lucky to have older brothers um, and really lucky with our sort of the gap in our ages because my, my oldest brother is like seven years about, he's about seven years older than me. And then Scott's about five years older than me. Right. So like, there's a pretty, 
a decent sized gap when you're a little kid, you know, so that by the time I kind of came along and was, you know, can remember stuff when I was like three or four, they had like, you know, they had a lot of records already. They had pretty strong musical tastes. Like they already were like, you know, knew what they were into, you know, and, 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 and being a kid growing up around that, I just followed, you know, whatever my brothers thought was cool was cool. And I would argue it to the death. You know what I mean? Like this black Sabbath is better than whatever, you know what I mean? And just have those kind of schoolyard arguments based in nothing more than like, because my brothers had the record and, and, and said it was cool. Yeah. 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 So, and, and so all that stuff, like, especially growing up, like as a kid in the seventies and into the eighties, it's like just all that great classic rock was just in our house all the time. You guys, we, you and I, because we're, we're, we're fairly we're similar ages, <clears throat> we were so lucky to have been budding guitar players at that age, at that time, you know, because yeah. we had every band. It was like you had to have a great guitar player or an interesting guitar player at the least. Well, don't you think it's kind of um, the, the, the irony that we came of age at a time? Like we spent our formative years working to because you know it's the guitar hero era you know through late 70s into the 80s and all that stuff when it was all about the guitar player like to me it was always that was my favorite guy in any band was i was always gravitated to the guitar player but it was also like the music that i was playing in high school for the most part you always had like not just a guitar solo but like a really long guitar solo where you had to like (laughs) really like work it out you know right right um and then the irony that we sort of came of age at this time when that was all thrown overboard. It's true. When it became totally illegal to play the way that we had sort of spent our whole formative years to learn to it's play. It's true. You know? So the guys like you and me who actually learned how to play a lead guitar solo, it was just like knowing long division at that point. You know what I mean? It's like you're not. <laughs> totally. It's yeah. always, that's real yeah. cute. You know Phrygian or whatever, but you're yeah. not going to. Do you know a bar chord? Yeah. Because that's what you need that. That's basically I, it's it's funny because I moved to LA in 1990, like with you know with my friends, and we moved to right. LA to like make it with our band, and we got down there and we kind of realized like you know that that being in Santa Barbara, we were just a li- we were a couple steps behind, you know where things had were at that point, and this was like the rock scene had pretty much died, and the alt rock thing was bubbling up, but hadn't become you know hadn't become Nevermind and Pearl Jam and all that stuff quite yet, you know, but it right. was but it was on its way, and you could s- feel that, you know. And I remember being in a band in the early 90s and playing around L.A. and like an A&R guy came to see us. And, and it was this was probably like 1993 or something. And by that time, you know, my hair was short. Uh, yeah. You're trying to like not let anybody know that a few years ago you had Bang Tango records and shit like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like you really you don't talk about that at all, sure. you know? Um, that band and, sucks, man. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And like, because um, before it was all like, you know, it was it was like safe to claim all that shit again. But like, um, yeah. but, and I remember this A&R guy came down and, and he listened to us play a couple songs and he kind of went around the room and was like, you know, pointing at each guy sort of describing. And he gets to me and he was, goes, and you, you're just like a total rock and roll guitar player. And in my head, I was like, fuck, no, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they'll hear. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll know. Hear. I'll be out. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, that's fucking, I mean, and that's true. You know, it's fucking true. And that was one of the things yeah. you and I talked about because we were both old. We were metal guys. We both. Yeah liked metal you know and and now it's, i'm shameless about it i'm like fuck it i you know yeah. I, guess I, I i i love it i still fucking love it and i like playing that shit's fun 
It's fun yeah, playing it, yeah. you know. I mean, don't I, you think, especially with the punk rock scene that, that sort of sprung up in the late '80s and the, through the '90s, that like most or not all, but like most of the people playing in those bands had grown up on Metallica and fucking Iron no Maiden and Judas Priest. It's so yeah. you just listen to that music. It's so informed by by metal. Absolutely. That I mean, it's sort of like that's like the. That's like Absolutely. the ingredient that at the time maybe nobody would openly discuss. Well, well even the guys that sort of were the sort of precursors, you know, uh, it, uh, Brian Baker, Stephen Edgerton, those guys, they were into metal and rock and roll and Gary Moore and Michael Shanker and just, yeah. you know, that we yeah. all were. There was no way. Yeah. It, was, it was ubiquitous. There was no way you were going to get away from it unless sure. you were a complete artist and maybe you came to guitar as like a paintbrush, like an SST guy yeah. or Sonic Youth where you were – completely influenced by you know mike ribo or or you know uh some uh, fred frith you know like you, you weren't coming from rock and roll you weren't coming right, from right from any sort of aggressive music yeah i mean i i think that that honestly like it did, i mean if i can talk shit for a minute and I don't, i'm not gonna not gonna name names but like a lot of people that they're if they're start it always seemed to me that if your starting point was like punk rock of a certain age that there was a certain soulfulness to your playing that was all just missing forever. Whereas oh. if maybe you started a little, like you said, like, like Schenker, Gary Moore, people like that, yeah. it sort of informed your sensibilities in a way that, that I don't know. To, to my ear was, is just the type of playing I prefer. You know? I fully agree with you. And you know what, for me, it was a lot more evident when I would listen to them play rhythm guitar, because if a guy, right. if a guy was sort of naturally behind the beat, even a bit, you would go, you, you didn't just listen to punk rock, you know? Right. And yeah, if there yeah, was yeah. a guy that was pushing that band or right on that, you know, you could tell it's like, Oh, you know, cause even Johnny Ramone, there is a tad bit of latency, you know, he's a behind yeah. it just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. How could he not be? He grew up with, you know, all the 60s Motown and stuff like that. So I, 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 it's funny you say that because I've always sort of noticed that as well. It's like you could tell the guys that sort of just got a punk record and that was their sort of Bible and they didn't do any other research. It's just like, yeah. I know a bar chord now, I can write a song, I'm done. You know? Well, there's, a, there's with drummers too, you know, like, I mean, there's yeah. a thing you, you mentioned the Ramones and I was thinking that like they, they're different drummers in the, in the sort of the glory days. The Ramones had that ability to make it fast. It'd be, you know, sure. but it was still somehow like there was a pocket to it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like in, in that way, like, and uh, to me, like Dave Grohl is such a really good, he's just like, you know, such a great example of that on the drums, a guy that can push the song forward but it's it's always informed by that bottom thing that he's got. Absolutely, you know, yeah, absolutely. And you know, a true testament of that. We, you were there uh, in Australia. We asked Dave to come on and play uh, an old Scream song with us. Came without warning, <clears throat> and that's a fast song. But it was yeah. still done with such heft. Yeah. such weight to it. I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know? And we had jammed all day with them and doing Bad Brains and Minor Threat covers. And you came in and we were all messing around, fucking around. And it was, you know, it, he had that sort of, but you know, you're right. It's like a Bonham aesthetic to sort of everything, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you mentioned yeah. like rhythm. You, you always hear that with people's rhythm guitar playing. Like I was a really pretty lousy rhythm guitar player until I joined no use for a name made me a much better. And then Foo Fighters too, in, in different ways, because like, sure. I was so lead guitar centric, I think growing up 
you know, in high school and stuff that I didn't. And I did and the concept of like, follow the drummer. Like, I don't, and nobody right. ever told me that, you know what I mean? Like, I never thought about that until maybe I was, you know, 18 plus, you know? Right. Um, but I remember that, like, and, and joining No Use was the first time I was in a fast kind of like, you know, I'd been in like a couple of punk rock bands in high school, but it was different. It was the era was slightly different. Like the right. skill set was somewhat different. You know what I mean? Like No Use for Name was the first band I was in that did all that like, you know, all that kind of like you think of it as like um, kind of like precision palming rhythm right. stuff. You know what I mean? And I was fucking lousy at it when when i first joined no, you know especially me. like that like the really fast like like all that stuff you know what i mean like like i really i would just sputter that shit um pretty hard and it took me a while to sort of get that up to speed you know you could have fooled me because you must have had it up to speed by the time i saw you because i always thought you were just fantastic and uh i was always like you know even before i knew you i was like i want to know that guy you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like we're gonna have stuff to talk about. You um, know who was who was the best at that? I think of that era to me was Luke from Good Riddance. You ever Luke's, watch his his right hand? Oh yeah, Luke's fantastic. His fucking it. right hand <laughs> is bananas. Yeah, Luke's fantastic. Yeah, it. he could do that that fast palming stuff so good. Luke and we, Luke and I have had this conversation many times as well. He came from thrash metal, like I did as well, mm. and and it's that. I feel like that what you're talking about that phrasing definitely came from a lot of like heavier metal like like yeah. thrash metal like metallic yeah, and things like, like that Slayer and all that stuff Ex- yeah exactly but you know what that that swath of music that genre the fat wreck thing uh you know for lack of a better term it was so curated and it was so specific you know um, from you guys to Lagwagon to you know Good Riddance it was there was a definite phrasing thing happening that made it sort of sound different than all of those other, what you would call punk bands of the nineties, you know, Rancid didn't do that. And, you know, uh, but bands on fat did, you know, there's propaganda, Chris Hanna, which is fucking Mm, fantastic as well. Absolutely. And so it was a thing. It was a real, there was a lot of metal uh, influence in that guitar playing. Absolutely. And ironically, fat Mike is the least heavy metal person on the planet. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, and, but he had a lot of like, you know, he would come up with a lot of those crazy picking patterns sure and stuff would. too. Like, so I, I don't know where sure he would. got it from because he definitely was not listening to Blizzard of Oz when he was a kid. You know? Definitely not. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's fantastic at that stuff. And also, you know, a, a, an amazing guitar player in and of himself. And he wouldn't take that compliment if you gave it to him. But, right. um, you know, to, to go back a little bit, you did mention your brother, Scott, and I would feel remiss not to uh, mention that Scott is in the band Face to Face. Yes. Uh, he plays bass, but he's also an unbelievable guitar player. Yes. And I met Scott on his first tour of Face to Face. Hagfish toured with them. Uh, they were touring before that. Uh, the just the album Face to Face came out. So I, I got to know Scott very well as well and just saw him the other day. Anyway, I needed to go back and say that. Oh, yeah. And it should be noted, you know, if we're talking guitar and we're talking about my guitar playing that my brother Scott is without any question the biggest influence on my guitar playing, period. I picked up a lot of shit from him. And he's, you know, between the three of us, I always thought of Scott as he's just like the most natural musician, just a guy that just it just oozes it. You know, he's in my memory, he was always good. But yeah, he's just a he's a real natural yeah, there's those guys. I mean, you know, fuck my brother as well. He's always had a better ear than me. He's always been able to figure things out. But, you know, he's just 
just they're all those people there's they're good at music yeah <laughs> you know? i would say if you leave my brother scott in a room with with an instrument that he's never seen before in his life and come back in an hour he'll play a song you know oh, he's like he, that he's, he's like that kind of guy he's got something yeah so so going back even further who are your guys who are the guys that sort of influenced you i mean it's hard to say because you know the my earliest memories are like my brother's like stones and, and beatles records sure. so certainly as far as that goes you know it's probably Mick Taylor from the Stones is probably the guy. Um, wow. Although, you know, like you can't discount Keith's guitar playing or sure. uh, Ron Wood, you know, like the Ron Wood era was the era when I was a kid. So, I mean, when I think of it, like probably one of the biggest influences ever on me is some girls, you know, and all his, right. well, both him and Keith playing lead all over that. It was yeah. a huge influence, but like the first person that I identified with is like, that's my fucking hero. Ace Frehley. No question. For sure. Yeah, our, our our age, it's yeah. just there's a superhero playing guitar. How are you not totally? Yeah, you know, because I, I and I was playing with action figures, and then it was just like, whoa, there's an action figure playing a guitar. You know, it's like, how's yeah. it not? Yeah, how's that not going to translate? We had a funny thing in my house where my, I remember the day that my brother Scott brought home um, the first Kiss record that we ever had, and it was he had traded something for it to a neighbor. We were living in Maryland. It would have been like. I don't know, 1976 or something like right around there. And he brought home the originals. I don't know if you remember that, where they repackaged the first three records into one set. And yeah, they called it I do the originals, that. you know? Yeah. So he brought that home. And, um, and then we were all kind of obsessed with Kiss for a while. But pretty quickly, my brother Mike kind of went like, hmm, you know, I don't know. Like that uh -huh. stuff's kind of, that's a, he was just like a little too old or something, you know what right, I mean? Right, like, right. and me and Scott were just all about it. And it started this kind of inter family, you know, yeah. tension where Mike would be like, that shit is whack. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's all about Zeppelin and, and deep purple and the stone, you yeah. know, to Mike, Mike, it was, I think he was a little more serious, you know, and, right, right. and me and Scott were like, fuck it, they got blood and flames and smoke and, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, and that went on for a little while where we were just super kiss centric. And then things started to evolve. Like, I don't know exactly what the order would have been, but maybe Scott got a little more, you know, Van Halen comes out sure. and stuff like that. And then it's he discovers Judas Priest and Rush and things like that. And then like I was for a while there, I was like the lone holdout. Like I rode that till like, you know, into, into the time that the makeup like came off. You know what sure. I mean? Like I was sure. like you know through that through the lean years of like a kiss unmasked and the elder and stuff like that i'd be like debating right. those right this fucking rat um right. where i was i was the last man standing in the house but it was but kiss was just it you know i can't like over you yeah, know i, mean, I can't put a big enough exclamation point on how much their music meant to me you know at that well, age i think it's it's the right we were at the right age and you know you go back and listen to some of it now and it's like it it, it is sort of Bay City Rollers, you know what I mean? Totally. In places. Yeah. But they're yeah. great fucking songs. They yeah. really are great songs. Yeah. And I also feel like Gene Simmons does not get enough credit as a bass player. Like Absolutely. what a genius yeah. fucking bass player he was. Uh, and, and Ace Frehley's a fucking crazy guitar player. He's so good, you know? I mean, he really like, yeah, he wrote like parts. His solos were like right. hooks, you know? But there was he also like... Him. Yeah, and he had that like he had like some Jeff Beck in there too. You know, he, he was sure doing did. like he was he wasn't just like he wasn't a hack. That's for sure. No, he definitely was yeah. not a hack. He definitely was not a hack. Um, yeah. So to go back, uh, maybe around then, but you know, I remember you you having the nickname Jackson, yeah. and for a long time, and people just called you Jackson, and that was because 
I would say, I think maybe before all that, you had a Jackson or you had a Jackson during no. the 90s? Or what, where's, the, where's that? That's from? that's what I should claim at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I never owned. Well, I've, actually, I think I have a Jackson now because I, I have a Randy Rhodes model, which I believe is a you Jackson. You got to. You yeah. Um, but I never had a Jackson back then. No, the way I got the nickname Jackson was because when I moved to San Francisco, I, I got a job at Fat Records. And I don't know if you remember Chris Dodge. Chris Dodge was yeah. working there. Yeah, sure, he was. Sure. Chris Dodge ran the label back then. And so Mike, when he hired me, was like, hey, you know, we uh, we already have somebody here named Chris. So you can't be Chris like you. And he goes, you have to come up with a nickname for yourself. I was like, what? I can't like give myself. That's not how nicknames work. You know what yeah, I mean? That's not how they work. Um, so the next day he came in and he was like, you know, all like happy because I, I, I figured out your name. I came up with a name for you. I was like, oh, cool. What, what is it? And he goes, it's Jackson. I go, oh, well, why? He goes, because you don't look like a Jackson. <laughs> it's like ultimate you know fat mike logic well, we'll see we'll see in my, in my i remember him trying to tell i maybe it was like rise against he he said a great band name would be it's the cops like with an exclamation point <laughs> it's right. the cops right. anyway um so i always thought since you and me always commiserated about our our metal pasts that it was because Maybe there was a photo that had surfaced of you with a Jackson guitar. You would that's, think. That's I mean, I especially, thought. you know, you talk about influence. Randy Rhodes was was like sure. after, after Ace Frehley was the next, you know, big uh, guitar icon for me. Um, and he Why played would, Jackson. Yeah. So there you go. You know, I should I mean, have by all you know accounts, I should have had a Jackson somewhere in there, but I never did. And you should have been nicknamed Jackson for it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, well, my first guitar, because when I first started playing guitar, I just used my brother Mike's acoustic. Um, to go take lessons and learn like pentatonic scales and stuff. Yeah. And then when I got my first guitar, it was a Takamine copy of one of those Aria Pro 2 Explorer shapes. You know, oh, those? yeah. It's yeah, kind of like yeah, an Explorer, yeah. but small and with like it's all kind of rounded. And yeah. Um, sure. And I had that for a couple of years and then I sold that. And a kid at my school was selling his Les Paul. And, and I got that in like, I think that was like 10th grade that I got that Les Paul. And then that was, then I was just like, you know, that's all I had for a very long time. Did you play that in no use? Oh yeah. 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 No I don't know shit. if you remember, but that, that black Les Paul that I've yeah, always played in no that. use, um, was that guitar, which I still have. Um, but I retired it from the road long ago, but, um, I'll tell you an, a cool story. Pat smear last year for my 50th birthday, because over the years, like touring with that guitar, um, I bastardized the shit out of it. You know, got rid of the pick guard, put all kinds yeah. of different pickups and I didn't have no idea where any of the original stuff sort of wound up. Drew on it, you know, just did all kinds of dumb shit. And sort of not, right. you know, he's like, it's the 90s. I'll put stickers on it. Cool. Right, right, um, right, right. And Pat, a couple of years ago, bought on eBay the exact same guitar. It's in 1982. They call it a Black Beauty, Les Paul Black Beauty. It doesn't really have seemed to have anything to do with the with the old black beauties from like whatever they were right. that was 68 or something like it's not triple pickup it's not a custom it's a weird i don't know what it was it's that year i don't know if you remember in, around that time 
Gibson's uh, started putting out these cool, it's got these uh, machine heads that have like flip yeah. tuners on them. The little flip tuner. Yeah, yeah it's like the best invention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Pat bought one of those guitars, but it was like, had been like never been played. It's literally brand, it looks newer than when I even got my guitar back in 1985 or whatever. It's not a custom? No, it's it's got like, it's it's got some kind of details of a custom and details of a standard and i, I don't wow. you know yeah it's you weird it's a really a that. that's crazy I, I will yeah it's a very strange guitar but so pat when pat bought one of those i was like oh my god dude you got and that led us to talking about my guitar um and he went out and found the period correct pickups for me and gave them to no me way. for my 50th birthday to restore it to its you know more or less original form yeah yeah, because those because I didn't know at the time that those pickups, you know, would be like, you know, sought after. It's um, I forget the guy's name, uh, Tim something or other. It's like that era of of humbuckers. Oh, uh, uh, you know, Scott, what I'm talking about. I know exactly. Yes, I do yeah. know, and I, I, I mean, I'll set there's Seth Lover, but I, I also know that anyway. Uh, you know, I've talked about it here on this podcast, but Pat Smear, kind of the most thoughtful person in the world, because I think, as you know, I think I. I bought one of those Robin artisans that Pat has. It looks like an SG and a Les Paul. I was obsessed yeah. with it after after Pat brought that out. I think when we were on tour, maybe it was when I came and saw you guys in Austin and hung out. And Pat had those, and I thought it was just some custom shop Gibson thing he had. But then I realized it was a Robin, and they were from the 80s, and you know it was only 250 of them made. Pat had like five, of course. and <laughs> He's driving I, up the cost, man. For sure. And I, so I did a re exhaustive reverb search looking mm. for this fucking guitar. Finally find one. It gets delivered. This is during pandemic and somebody steals it from my porch because the no, guy sent shit. it. Yeah. The guy sent it without a signature. So it was on my porch. Somebody steals it. So I was like, fuck, you know, I wanted it so bad. Pat, and he probably doesn't want me saying this and I can edit it out if he does it. He sent me one of his. Oh no shit. He did. Wow. But wow. through through Pat, his guitar tech, because I didn't have Pat's number, nor I don't think he had mine, but Pat, yeah. you know, he does Sweeney, his guitar play, tech, he what he saw it on Facebook because we're friends on Facebook. I'd put yeah. out a thing. And uh. he was like, man, that's such a drag. And then through him, he, Pat got my number. And yeah. Yeah, no, Pat Smear is, honest to God, one of the sweetest people you'll, you'll ever meet. Like he, as it's... I mean, again, he probably doesn't want me talking about this out loud, but I will. Um, yeah. That same year for my 50th birthday that he got me those pickups, he bought me. Um, it's like seriously, like the most, the whole thing was like just the most thoughtful thing anybody's ever done. He bought me an SG from my birth year. No fucking yeah. way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> God damn. Well, yeah. real quick. Do you think it's the gear or the player? I think that it's the player and I would I would add to that that I think um oftentimes people who are sort of overly obsessed with gear in my opinion seem to do it because they can't play very well. Now and, and I realize that's a totally subjective <laughs> thing like you know there's plenty of people out there that would be like you can't play very well motherfucker. Um but I don't think anybody would say um, that. people say that. Um but yeah, I think that uh rarely do you come across like uh where those two things are in balance sure and for me it was actually totally out of balance where i never thought about gear 
to my detriment. I mean, for too long, I didn't think about gear. I knew I liked a Les Paul, you know, I knew I liked certain, I liked the classic guitars, you know, like where I was always drawn to, you know, hollow bodies and old Gretches and ES-335s and Telecasters and whatever, you know what I mean? I liked the classic shit, but I, to this day, and I think maybe because I didn't think about it ever in those sort of formative years, but I still struggle to like, I know what old amps I like, you know, and I know why I like them tonally sure. and all this, and but I can't, I don't really have the depth of knowledge about like the sort of like how they all work and why they sound the way they do why? and what's going on behind the scenes that colors this, that, and the other. And even like, you know, throwing together a pedal board, I'm always like, wait, do I put the delay first or do I put the flange? <laughs> I'm like I'm, you know what I'm I mean? I was like, too. have to Google yes. that shit, you know what I mean? Because I just, I never had pedals until I joined the Foo Fighter. Never. Never had them at all. I never had overdrives. I never had delay. I never. And then when I yeah. joined Foos, there were a bunch of songs where I had to have that stuff. And it was like, it was, that was really challenging, you know? Sure. Uh, the, I the never two did things either. that were the mo- Yeah, it's weird. I just never, I never had, so, I, so I, I missed that whole period where you're like, dude, the vintage memory man, it does this and right. it's known for this. So I, I, I feel like I'm, it's sort of like a gap in my, in my, quiver that i'm probably never really gonna make up for you know what i mean but that's why you rely on great producers and engineers and friends i think that's okay though and i think that's one of the things that adds to what makes you so special you know guys like you and me we grew up in vans we were touring in vans in the 90s the 90s for you and me and it was an amp and a fucking guitar we didn't sometimes we were getting to the gig and literally throwing our shit on stage we were our own techs we were driving the van ourselves so we come from that and and Shannon, and, you know, by the way, Shannon's going to resent that if I claim to have been my own tech, because technically well, he was my tech. <laughs> hi, Shannon. Shannon yeah, Gabriel, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, so I think the first time I used a, a pedal was in Guar, and it was a crybaby for leads because the guy I replaced used one. And then with with Rise, shit, I just added a Phase ninety like a few years back, and now I have like a very modest pedal board. But that was one of the things that I was so impressed with you specifically is still how much of that aesthetic you still sort of adhere to because you know you guys are playing Wembley Arena or Madison Square Garden and you still have Fender or Gibson guitar pedal board and you know 412 cabinets behind you you're not yeah. Kemper and Fractal and right. all this other horseshit and you know and and I think that's so impressive and so uh to me I just respected the shit out of it and I was like you know what that's all you have to do Well, I I mean, not like the stuff we were doing in the 90s was the most dynamic, you know what I mean? But because a lot of it was just all the time. But it did the fact that that I didn't have pedals and didn't use even like the channel changer or anything on my dual rectifier or whatever. Like, you had to sort of learn how to play, how to like approach it differently in your hands and with your volume knob. Absolutely. And and I still do that a, a lot today like that i think you know and i tried all kinds of different things over the years i tried just doing hard a b switching from this to that and even do a little bit of that now but most of the time if i want to have a cleaner tone i'm just rolling it down to seven you know what i mean and and yeah and that's where the dynamic comes from you know and then you know approach i work a les paul you know i use my my neck pickup and i swell in and then i yeah. you know i yeah, yeah, i yeah. use the things that we we you know because we didn't have much back then yeah. and you you can tell that we smell our own i've always been able to tell that about your playing it's like he comes from this so no matter how big this thing is getting or or is or 
you know, no matter how big that room is, you still have the aesthetic of somebody that drove there in a van. You know what I mean? And 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 that's amazing. It's funny because I feel like I'll, like the bigger the venue, the less that stuff is actually noticeable to anybody. Absolutely, but you still Absolutely. do it. Like a lot of like tone stuff, I feel like on guitar, is just gets lost in the soup, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. but you you still do it anyway. You still do that's, it. So yeah. that's how you entertain yourself. It matters you know? to you. It matters totally, because to that's because what's coming through my in ears, you know, maybe it doesn't actually project into the room, <laughs> but but it sounds fucking great. Sounds great to you. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and the argument gets made, especially to guys like you and me about Kemper profilers and all that stuff. And I hear the arguments, man. I hear it all. And I'm not saying I'll never do it because it does make sense. You know, Brian Baker from Minor Threat, Bad Religion, Dag Nasty, he is on Kemper now. And him and I talked about it a lot on here. And uh, I, I, I hear the arguments, man, but it's so hard for me, you know? I'll tell you... Um... I have actually, so, you know, for, it's one thing if it's Foo Fighters, you know, um, because of course my preference is to actually have an amp on stage sure. and to be loud and to get that. I mean, my favorite tone in the world is, amp, you know, not a pedal, it's amp gain. And it's gotta be loud. You know what I mean? You gotta have it at a certain volume to, to get that, to make it do its thing. And, and that is always my preference, no matter what, if I have the luxury of not having to load it in and out of a van myself. You know what I mean? Right. And right, I find right. for my for my solo stuff, I've moved into smaller and smaller and smaller right. amps over the years. Where like nowadays, usually when I go out, I'll take a Princeton, like an old Princeton Reaper. Right. You know? That's great. Fits fits in the back of the van easy. It's, you know, you pick that thing up, throw it, you know, to easy, you know. But I've been I've been because there's <clears throat> with my solo thing, a lot of the time I will wind up playing gigs on off nights on Foo Fighter tours, you know, because we'll wind up having a couple off nights in a town. I'll just, I'll be there. I'll just go, go do a gig. And I'll do that with just me and an acoustic guitar, which is a fun dynamic, but sure. it's not the dynamic. I really want to play those songs. in. so I've been, I've been working, I've been building this thing or I'm not building it, but working with some people that, that know how to do that stuff uh, to build me like a track system. You know, oh, rad. yes. And with that, so that we, they've been like, you know, sort of we, I've had a couple of rehearsals with it. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that live. If it's going to be, if it would be me and a drummer or just me kind of playing right. a certain parts. Cause we just take all the shit off my records and have something to play against. Cause that's the thing that, you know, as a guitar player, that's what I miss is having yeah. a, a bed of, of, of chords to play something over, you oh, know what yeah, I mean? That's yeah. the thing that, that, that you miss or the, for me, I miss it when I'm playing those um, acoustic shows. So I've been messing with that. And w along with that, I've been using, have you seen those Strymon Iridium yes. amp modelers? Yes. And dude, it's fucking crazy how good that thing sounds. It's, I wrote one of those down to check out because it's, it's, it's kind of simple. It's like made for, you know, they have like what, three different amps and yes. three different cap And even the, the three different amps, it's like they made it with me in mind. The three different amps are a deluxe reverb, right? an AC30 and a fucking Plexi. No shit. It's like, it's exactly the range of amps that I would be playing with anyway. Wow. It's perfect. And it's really, it's really simple. And I think kind of the upside of that is like, like imagine you're doing a van solo tour. Right. And now you don't have, and now I can bring like two guitars 
my pedal board with the fucking little iridium pedal on it. Yeah. And my track system in a Pelican case. And you're done. Oh my God, dude. You're stretched out on that back seat, fucking taking a nap. <laughs> Shannon's, Shannon's behind the wheel. It's, yeah. I mean, come you're on. Done. Yeah, you're that's, done. that is, that's, that's luxury, baby. That's, that's a motherfucker that spent a lot of time in a van. You're thinking about the space <laughs> in the van. <laughs> totally. Totally. Not yeah. Sitting next to, yeah, yeah. I can bring out all the merch. I don't have to have that shit sent, you know, yeah. like down the road. It's going to be very, very comfortable. But it's also yeah. the interesting thing. Where I've changed my thinking on that a little bit is a lot of times for those kind of tours, you know, I'm not bringing a sound guy. You're just kind of, it's like you're rolling the dice, you're rolling the dice in a club where you don't know what the sound system is going to be. And, and I do kind of like the idea and I know it's cheating and I never thought I would say this, but the idea that like you're sort of removing the possibility of it, of the guy that doesn't know what he's doing, micing your amp up shitty and making it sound terrible in the room. It's like, yeah. it's going to sound perfect every time. Right. And there is a, you know. Do those Strymans, do you do you need a power amp for those Strymans or are they just, they're good? No, I don't think so. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I, and I, but I don't know if you have to like run it into a DI or something before it hits the right. PA. I'm not it's sure. It's so funny yeah. you mentioned that because I wrote that down as like, oh shit, those amp choices seem cool. I like things being simple. I like yes. a pedal yes. doing the thing that I want it to fucking do and leaving it there. I, Absolutely. I love, I, I looked up like Zach Wilde pedal board. He has a real simple pedal board. He always has. He has like, you yeah. know, his lead boost, a uh, phase 90, a crybaby, and, and, you know, some of that. I was like, that, I like that. I, I like just looking at it and going, I know what everything does. I have it set, done. And, yeah. I, and I saw that pedal as like, as far as a profile, because even a Kemper, a fractal seems way above my fucking pay grade. I don't think I'll totally. ever get it. I don't want to have to learn a whole new like operating no. system to anything ever. You yeah, know? it's like it's like a new language. I just wanted yeah. to do the fucking shit that I want to. And guys like you and me, we know our tone. We've been doing this a long time. I know my tone. Yeah. I know how I want yeah. to sound. It's so funny how you said that earlier about, you know, I, I was talking to a guy the other day that was talking about tube differences and all that stuff. And it's like, I know tubes I like. I like 6505s barely. I just know that they have like more headroom. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. I, I Googled how, you know, the proper channel or uh, 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 track of like setting up pedals as well like what yeah. goes first yeah. and i mean 30 years into my career but i like that i don't know that i like that you sure. don't know that yeah you know i tell you what you know who who really taught me a lot or he, taught me a lot but also made me um just want to think about that stuff maybe a little bit more was i made a couple records with dave cobb oh right. from, from my solo stuff and that's a guy that that gets that balance right i mean he knows everything about vintage gear and yeah. and how to use it to get the tone like oh you want that Jimmy Page thing you know tough and he'll just go grab something and just oh, here's what you do that kind of shit like he's right. like there's a real art to that like I really appreciate that like people that know the gear and know how to make it work the way you want it to sound yeah because like how many times have you gotten something that like your favorite guy did and then you yeah. plug it in and you're like oh, fuck I don't get this at all like what the fuck is <laughs> like I remember I did that with a treble like booster like yeah. huh. This yeah. it just it just makes everything sound terrible. I was like, how do you even use this thing? I did that. I did like two or three different treble boosters trying to do like the Brian May thing. And yes, exactly. Work. I'm like, how did he do that? Like I, to this day, I don't know. They just sit on the shelf at my studio. 
Yeah, not only did it not sound like Brian May, it didn't even sound like Tony Iommi, who also used it. It's like, wait, <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, I missed the mark on both. By the way, that that will be the the mean spirited comments when you post this. Like those yeah. fucking idiots. Oh, they call themselves guitar players. They don't even know how to use a treble booster. Well, <laughs> fuck everyone that says that. Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them. We 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 toured in vans. Goddamn it. Goddamn uh, right. Let's see them go fucking touring in vans. Also, uh, I. I'd be remiss not to your 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 signature Telecaster. You know, it's 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 not very often a signature model guitar breaks out of being you know the collect like the people that collect are the guys that are huge fans of your band or whatever. I see people using your your two humbucker to your Tele Deluxe. I see people using that all the time now, and I think oh, nice. I, every time I see it, I'm like, that's my buddy's guitar, and I'm always really proud of you. Awesome. Well, you, you know what was what was great is that when when we put that together, I mean, the whole way that that came together was I had built a couple of parts guitars like that, right. you know, because yeah. I had bought one of those old tellies with the wide range pickups in it and loved it. Um, it, it just wasn't quite like it wasn't quite humbuckery. Well, because it's not humbuckers, but it wasn't. It just right. didn't quite have the oomph of what you sort of need most of the time in the Foo Fighters. So that's sort right. of why I, I built those parts guitars. And then when Fender saw that, and they're like, hey, why don't we just make like a Fender of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and at that time, they really didn't have anything in their lineup that filled that gap, you know what I mean? Right. It's like a telly with humbuckers and a rosewood fretboard, you know? Right. And, um, and so I feel like it was just like, it just... That's why I put my name on the back of the headstock, was for exactly right. that reason, because I was like... I want people who don't know who I am, don't like me, don't give a shit about the music I mean, whatever, to also want to buy this thing. To also you know want to I mean? buy, it. yeah, yeah cause because it's, it's just a good guitar, something. and it's yeah, it's just it fills a kind of a, it filled a, a a thing that they weren't covering at that yeah. moment, you know. And then your newer one has the P90s, which I thought was genius as well. And you were able to, what's, what's great about that guitar is I saw you here in Austin. You did a solo gig at the Continental Club, and then you did a Foo Fighters gig, and you used that same Campbell Soup P90, which was fucking genius. That that guitar is so versatile that you're able to sort of do the different things with it. It works good in in the Foo's because, you know, there's three of us and it's it's right. over the years I've 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 tried to I I'm always kind of aware of trying to like have a somewhat different tone, like sort of sit somewhere different in the soup right. than everybody else because when we play it is a big wall of sound, you know. And then it works great for the more sort of like twangy um honky tonk stuff like if you know, it's, it, that guitar reacts so different if you plug it into a Marshall or a Friedman Right. Than if you plug it into a Princeton, you know. Well, one thing I've always noticed about the Foo Fighters, uh, with all three of you guys' respective styles, and you, you to, to call back to the Stones and Ron Wood and Keith Richards, it's it's also something I read about with the Grateful Dead, which I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, but it's it's weaving, you know. And you guys are all three always sort of weaving in and out of each other's parts and not stepping on each other's toes and. And someone's always doing something a little different. Pat always, you know, a lot of the times he's using sort of a baritone guitar and things sure. like that. Yeah. And I've always thought that was really interesting. Tim and I have always tried to do that as well. Because why have a bunch of guys up there doing the same exact thing? Right. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. You know. So we 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 put a lot of thought into that um, early when Pat first came back, and then it just kind of became the the sort of natural thing that we kind of just fall into when we're when we're playing. Well, so it would probably, I mean, I was imagining that uh, in respect to that, having a P90 does help you sit somewhere because yeah, there are those guys are using humbuckers and here you are in your own thing. Yeah. Um, 
How important are the Friedman amps? I know have you still you've been a long time yeah. Friedman guy, which yeah. I love those amps. Oh, I love them, man. I fell in love with those things. I remember that we were rehearsing at Mates one day okay. years ago. And um and my guitar tech, Sean, was like, Oh man, you want to hear a good amp? You should walk over there and plug into that thing. Ridiculous. And I I went over there and and he had his like demo um amp in there that was set up like wet dry like eddie van halen style like right. have you ever played with that no i haven't and i've heard dude i haven't ever done it that is like if you want to just sit in your living room and feel like you're playing a stadium like that's the way to do it so no it totally like it's you just feel like you can do no wrong when you've got that wet dry thing happening it's, it's and it just sold me. i was like fucking sign me up where i mean i'll put the down payment now you know let me get them well, in now white. i want to now yeah. i want to do it is that what you oh, do yeah. do you wet dry live I, I I only recently kind of started doing not in that classic Eddie Van Halen way, but what I've been doing for the last I don't know half year or something is um, I have one of those uh, oh, what's what's the uh, that Strymon Deco do you so, know that pedal yeah and you can yeah, set bit. it there's a way you can set it where you do you run it in stereo and you do wet dry but I have it so it's just a tape it's like that tape double. And oh. I set the and I set it to where it's almost like I don't have it like a slap. Like get, get, I have it like almost. It just barely right. offset, just just barely. Like you almost can't hear it. But it's it, it's all you're hearing out of out of the left side is the is the the tape sound, and then okay. all you're hearing is the dry sound out of the other one. So it oh. it just makes your sound it just super wide. Well, next time we hang out, we're gonna have to Eddie Van Halen it and go crazy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the the um, the guy that's putting together my track setup is like a guitar playing genius and very smart. And he showed me that he was over at my studio. And he's like, "Hey, man, you ever do this with this thing?" And he just started fucking around with my pedal. And it was one of those moments, like, "Wow, I never, I have no idea what this kid is doing." But right. all of a sudden, my my sound went from bang, 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 to like fucking. Bang, bang. You know, I was like, I'm gonna do that all the time now. God, you know, bless those guys. I that know. show guys like you and me. Like, do you know you could be doing this with this thing? Like, oh yeah. shit, yeah, I can't look at yeah. all this unlocked potential. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That would make it my job so much easier. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm fighting yeah. this thing every yeah. night. I'm, you know, yeah. this thing, I've got it right here. And all yeah. I have to do is turn this thing, whatever it is. You know, it's great too, um, because with that, like I've also run my other um delay in stereo too. And so when you have that thing going where you've got yeah. like you can pan the delays and everything and have that slap thing, and so you start to get into some really cool, wide, big sounding well, tones. You, I did just do sort of a, a crash course and a deep dive into all I've been listening to lately is Killing Joke, as you do, mm. and Jordy from Killing Joke. And Dave played on their amazing 2003 record just called Killing Joke. Um, yeah. But he has always been that guy, had two different delays going at, and, you know, and sort of always researched this, the sort of the timing frequencies and everything else. So he's always been like that guy and always been very – delay has been almost um, – just this essential part of his rig and he's all you know he he writes riffs with delay and stuff like that yeah. and so that blew my mind i was just like oh god i couldn't imagine you know not only writing one riff but writing a whole record where you, you're the timing in your delay is as important as the, everything else all the other ingredients are just like yeah. it blows my mind yeah. I, I found a thing um and i'll send it to you that was really interesting i've never applied it but it would be fun to mess with um I've messed with it just uh, just sitting around, you know, I'll just set up 
the, the sort of offset delays, but I found some website where a guy broke down a bunch of the edges delay settings from oh, classic U2 songs. Cause he does that a lot where they're set to different, you know, they're yep. like the timing's different. So it's like when they sort of overlap and rub on yeah. each other, it creates that crazy thing that is instantly recognizable as the edge, you know, but, um, it's, it's genius. And, you know, and then like Tom Morello has two different delays. He has the same delay pedal. It's a boss delay pedal. Uh, one set one way, one set the other way. And he just knows those two settings and that's his thing. It's like, well, yeah, that yeah. appeals a little more to me, you know? Yeah, um, totally. So I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I always ask, what, do you have one that got away a piece of gear and guitar amp? <laughs> you got one that like you Ooh. lost or got stolen or you had to hawk it or whatever. Um, uh, there's, there's the only one, well, there's a couple ones that I could think of, but this one wasn't, um, actually there's a few, there's a, I'll tell you a few quick versions of that. So probably the, the one that hurts the most is I had an MXR distortion plus when I was a kid, that was like the one overdrive I ever had. And that would have been like the early mid eighties, you know? And I got that because that was the one that Randy Rhodes used, you know. Sure. As you and do. at that time, I could barely play and, you know, wouldn't have known how to use the thing anyway. And I don't even remember ever actually using it outside right. of just like plugging it into my brother's amp or whatever. Um, but uh, I don't know where the fuck that ever wound up. It just like disappeared somewhere, you know, just probably left it at a keg party or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, please which please is, tell we, me you've got another one. I have not. I have never replaced it. And it would have been vintage by now. I mean, that's the, we're so old that that would very much be a vintage pedal at this point. Yeah. Um, and you know, around that same time, I, or a little bit later, um, my brother, Mike had a, Hey, I don't know why he bought this, but he bought a music man full stack when we were kids. Yeah. And he never really like even played in bands much or anything. So that kind of became my amp that I used, uh, for years in the, in the early years. And then in like 1989, I bought my first boogie and then my band started using the music man amp as our PA. (laughs) And I, we went and played a party in Isla Vista one night and I got drunk and I left it there and I don't know why, but I just never went back to get it. No shit. Yeah. Just, I mean, I lived in Santa Barbara at the time. I would have been like a 20 minute drive to go back yeah. to the keg party and pick. It was probably just sitting there in the carport and I just never went back. So that's another one that, that disappeared. That, that thing is in some pawn shop or. Yeah. Because those old Music Man amps honk, man. They sound yeah. great. They they, were, yeah. And they were loud as fuck. And they were loud remember, and clean. Yes. You know? Loud and clean. And, and that's why I hated it yeah, because yeah, yeah. I didn't have an overdrive and no, or know how to use it except for that you know, the one that I just said, but I don't know what happened to it, but it used to drive me crazy. Cause it sounded, it was just way too clean. And when I got yeah. that, I got a boogie Mark three and it was like, chunk, chunk, chunk. Oh, sure. Yeah. You're getting the but thing. it was, there was so much headroom in the music, man. It worked great for the PA, you know, it works great for the PA. And yeah, yeah it's one of those things where I, I remember fucking with one and you know, any Marshall or even a fin, any fender combo at a certain point, it's going to start breaking up, you yeah. know, fairly decently and those fucking music bands you could dime them it's just yeah. clean as fuck um well that, those are good i think those are yeah. good well chris i don't want to keep you much longer buddy it's well, thanks it's, man it's so goddamn good to see you and to talk to you as always absolutely miss you pal yeah. and this was fun Th- thanks for having me on here i, I love that oh. you're doing this Oh, thank you, man. I mean, I figured, you know, guys like you and me, we were going to sit and talk about this shit anyway. Yeah. For Might like as well an record hour. It. 
Yeah. Yeah. Ex- might as well record it and see if people want to listen to <laughs> two guys that have known each other for 30 years talk about guitar shit. Well, what, I've been on a little uh, podcast hiatus, but when I get back to it, um, I would love for you to come. Uh, let me put you in the hot seat. See, you heard it right here, folks. Yeah. I will be on Chris Shiflett's show. You, you, anytime you want me, but yeah. you know, I'm always, yeah. I'm always around. We, we won't be able to talk gear at all because we just covered that, but I'll just add like, you know, really probing, like, tell me about your relationship with your brother, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering I just got off the phone with him, you know, yeah. yeah. How is Donnie Blair? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All uh, right. I'll talk at you soon, man. And good luck. Uh, good luck with everything. Awesome, boss. Good right, to buddy. see you. All right. Bye. I really love talking to him. You know, because of our schedules, we don't get to check in enough. But he is one of those people. He's always been sort of a, a North Star for me, a guiding light. We check in with each other. We talk about our bands. We talk about our shared experiences. We've been doing it since we were kids. As we talked about in this podcast, we talk about being in bands together. You know, I don't respect many people as much as I respect and admire that guy. And hopefully you do too. Whether you like the Foo Fighters or not, which if you don't, I don't, I don't know where you've been or what you're doing. I would like to finish up by saying thank you to the wonderful folks at Jim Dunlop and MXR. As you heard in this episode, one of Chris's you know, one, ones that got away was an MXR pedal. So maybe we'll be uh, doing a little giveaway for that one. And uh, yeah, so so go over to uh, jimdunlop.com and check out all the wonderful things they make and get them for yourself. You know, here at the end, I would be remiss not to leave you with a little bit of Chris's guitar playing. Again, he's in the Foo Fighters. So my point of putting him on here was to focus on his specific guitar playing and his voice and what he brings to the Foo Fighters. So we're going to start here with the Foo Fighters song Rope off the Wasting Light record, which I love that record. I think it's an amazing Foo Fighters record. And this song Rope, Chris gets to go for it. He is a crybaby drenched guitar solo and really sort of, you know, open up and show everyone like, yes, I'm in this band, but I can rip on my own i can shred on my own and uh he does a wonderful guitar solo toward the end but also after that i'm gonna leave you with you know chris is also a solo artist as we talked about and he's made fine americana you know country music for quite a quite a while now this one is going to be uh off his first record which is called west coast town this is the guitar solo from the title track of west car uh coast town and he gets to show off his amazing country licks. There's some finger picking going on here. There's some double stops, some chicken picking. Uh, he goes kind of the full spectrum and just this, this short, chaseful, amazing solo. So you get these two dualities of amazing rock and roll, shredder, crybaby solo, um, sort of Kirk Hammett-ish in rope. And then we go right into a Dave Cobb produced uh, country song with... Uh, Chris playing country style, which is a very, very hard style to play on guitar if you've ever tried it. So check this out for yourself and check out Mr. Chris Shiflett. Thank you again for listening to the Antiheroes podcast. I'll keep doing these folks, whether you're listening or not. I really appreciate you doing it though, but I'm going to keep doing them. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Yeah, I grew up in a West Coast town Back before the chase to work 